Amen. Take your Bibles. Please turn with me over to the book of Acts 17. We'll use that for a springboard tonight as we wrap up this series that we've started on Wednesday nights, Changing the World. We're back with that thought tonight out of Acts 17. Stand with me, please, as we read uh, our text. I'm going to back up and read uh, a few verses before we get to verse number 6. Acts 17, if you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says in verse number seven, chapter 17, verse 2, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I speak or preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks of great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, verse 6, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And that's been our verse uh, that we have used for the last two Wednesday nights on this thought of changing the world. And the Lord willing tonight, we're going to ask God to help us put all this together in the third and final message in this series. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us now, that you would uh, just bring it all together. Lord, as we've, for the last several weeks on Wednesday night, looked at the, the importance of the people of God, the church, being, <coughs> Lord, consumed with a global passion and a desire to make a difference. And I pray that you'd help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. I do not have the time to repeat uh, everything that we have already discussed. We had two messages already, and uh, we, we looked at uh, the simple fact that God's all about changing the world. In Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God said, let there be light. And there was light. The Bible starts out with God literally changing the world. And how that from the beginning of time until now, that has been something that God has determined to do. Uh, in, in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. So the whole Bible is all about God changing the world and using people to change the world. And we dealt with uh, the first message was the introduction of God's power. That was part one. The introduction of God's power, how that you and I in and of ourselves do not have the ability, we do not have the intellect, the skills to change the world, but God's power, when it is introduced, has the unbelievable power to change things. And we looked at a series of things, a, a list of things. I don't have time to repeat all of it, but uh, we talked about his power in that first message. And then the second message was uh, the inner working of God's process and how that God uses a variety of tools to accomplish this task of changing the world. Well, this is what we looked at last week. He uses his presence. We just referred to that, Genesis chapter one, verse two. The spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. We talked about the importance of the presence of God and how that we ought to desire it in our personal life. We ought to desire his presence in our homes and in our family and in our churches. We need God's presence and we talked about his precepts. His word is very important. In Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a fire. 
And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, God's word has the power to change lives. And we talked about that. Then we talked about his preachers. He uses preachers. He uses the men of God, messengers with his power, his presence on their life, and with his precepts in their hands and in their mouth. God uses preachers and the men of God to change lives, change the world. And we gave a list of men that God used. And, but tonight, I want to look in depth at the fourth one that we looked at last week about God uses his people, and that would be part three, the intervention of God's people. I really wanna settle in tonight and understand that God wants his people to be agents of change. That ought to be mine and your desire, agents of change. There's multiple references in the Bible. We could look at a whole list of them tonight. In fact, I really, for the last week, was planning on preaching a whole message just on my, what ended up now being my introduction. I wanna give you four things tonight just to prove from the scriptures that God has left us here, the church, the people of God, as agents of change. And that is described by several different things. The first one that I wanna to notice tonight, Matthew 5, 13, God's people are salt. All right? He said in Matthew 5, 13, ye are the salt of the earth. I like salt. I don't like too much, but I like salt. I remember my granddaddy had, had kidney failure and he went on dialysis and the doctor put him on a very small water intake, pretty much cut salt completely out of his diet. I'll never forget my granddaddy. Uh, of course, his wife, my Meemaw, was one of those Southern cooks that just, you ask her for the recipe and she'd just kind of look at you because she didn't know the recipe. She just kind of threw it all in there and it always came out amazing. Southern cuisine. And my granddaddy said this. He said, I just soon go on and die and go to heaven as to eat without salt. That's what he said. I'd rather just go on and go home to glory than to eat food without salt in it. That bland taste. And Jesus said to his disciples, ye are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Well, it changes. I could preach a series on salt. I'm just touching on it tonight. I'm just gonna sprinkle a little salt on this message, all right? But, but uh, salt changes things, and we are the salt. And here's what Jesus said. It's so important to him that we bring about change. Ye are the salt of the earth. If the salt hath lost its savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing. Boy, I don't wanna be a good for nothing Christian, do you? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. So we see God's people are salt. We ought to be salty. People ought to know we've been there when they interact with us. We're talking about the intervention of God's people. When we are introduced, when we step on the scene, when we enter a situation, we ought to bring about change. Make people thirsty for God. God's people are salt. Number two, in the same chapter, Matthew 5, verse 14, down to verse number 16, God's people are shining lights. Preached on light just a few weeks ago, but it's in my message again tonight. Ye are the light of the world. Light changes things. You walk into a room, flip a light on, it changes everything. We got a lot of lights in here. Some of them are flickering. Anybody notice the chandelier is flickering? Anybody notice that? And we're trying to get that fixed. We're going to see if we can fix that. Somebody said something to me about us, I didn't notice it. And as soon as they said something, I noticed it. Now I can't unsee it. Now it's flickering. Now I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm just getting on my nerves now. But it gets, it's dark in here because there's no windows. You walk in here in the morning and all the lights are off. 
You better flip a light on before you walk through there. You'll trip over something. You turn that light on, it changes things. Changed our parking lot and we put all those big old LED lights out there on the buildings and, and boy, we lit it up nice out there so it's safe and people can see and, and can discourage people from coming in here and, 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 and stealing stuff out of our vehicles while we're in church. Light changes things. You and I are the light of the world. God has us here to make a change, make a difference. And he said in verse 16 of Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Light's supposed to bring about a change. Where God's people are salt. God's people are shining lights. Thirdly, in 2 Timothy 2, God's people are soldiers. Soldiers bring about change. When a soldier enters, a, enters a, when a group of soldiers enters into a country or they enter into a battle, things happen. They don't leave it like they found it. Amen. There may be a regime change. There may be a change of government. There may be a change of landscape where some bombs went off. But I'm going to tell you, when soldiers go and they come, they change things. God left us here as an army. Soldiers. Soldiers are agents of change that God uses. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You say, I don't remember enlisting. Well, you were drafted. You got saved. You, you didn't read the fine print, but you were drafted, all right? And... Uh, you're in, the, you're in a battle. It was Lester Roloff, I believe, said that. He was famous for that. Life's not a recreation room. It's a battlefield. Is that what he said? Or he said the other way around. Life's a battlefield. It's not a recreation room. I remember hearing that as a kid. I didn't know what a recreation room was. I thought, well, whatever that is, that ain't where I'm at. I'm on a battlefield. I know what that is. And boy, was he right. Was he right? Lester Roloff, who went to jail several times and was arrested by the authorities in the state of Texas for having a children's home and, and an orphanage and he refused to take the license from the state. And he, I mean, he, you're talking about looking good in orange. I've seen Lester Roloff in orange or white jumpsuits or whatever coveralls they put him on, put him in prison. This was back in the 70s. Good old US of A arrested that preacher and put him in jail because he wouldn't take a license to do what he said God called me to do. I don't need your permission. It was a battle in the 70s. Well, it's now 50 years later. Does anybody beside me think, when you think 20 years ago, you think it was the 80s? That wasn't 20 years ago. That was 40 years ago. Anybody beside me find yourself, the 80s, that's 20 years ago. Uh-uh. 20 years ago was 2002. Time is swiftly passing. 50 years ago, Lester Roloff was going to jail in America. And he said, he told us then, it's a battlefield. Yes, sir. Here we are now, 2022, people ask, what's going on? Man, you're slow to the party. We're in a war, and we're soldiers. Yes. I've been on this kick for the last week and a half. I've got too much retreating going on. I need to advance. Yes, Amen. Amen. I said something I put on Facebook today. I said, if pastors don't lead their churches to love liberty and resist tyranny, they're going to be partially to blame when their people's in chains. Yes. Somebody texted me and said, what does that mean? A preacher friend of mine, what does that mean? I said, what do you think it means? We got we to stand up and teach people to love freedom and resist tyranny. I ain't gonna preach on that. Y'all quit. Stop. I'm trying to preach. 
Let's turn this thing around. We're in the Lord's army. We've got a cause to advance. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our problem today is not Republicans and Democrats. Our problem today is demon-possessed people in high places. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with devil worshipers. We're dealing, we're dealing with spiritual warfare is what we're dealing with. This, this is not politics, and it ain't gonna get fixed by a political party. This is a spiritual battle, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal to the pulling down of strongholds. We're soldiers. We need to have a soldier's mentality. We can bring about change in the country if we'll embrace what we are, soldiers in the Lord's army. Fourthly, Proverbs 11.30 says we're soul winners. God's people are soul winners. For those of you that are new to church or you haven't been in a church that has an emphasis on soul winning or an organized soul winning program, this is a soul winning church. We win souls to Christ. And that is a phrase that is taken from Proverbs 11, verse 30. He that winneth souls is wise. We win souls. Everybody has a soul. It's going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And if we can win that soul to Christ, we have won that soul to God. We have, we have delivered them, spared them. We've been an instrument of change, an agent of change to bring somebody over into salvation. Paul called it the ministry of reconciliation. Sinful man is separated from God. And the soul winner grabs the hand of God and the hand of the soul winner and brings them together, joins them together. We bring people to God. We bring God to people. It's called soul winning. There's nothing greater. There's no greater, nothing even close comes close to soul winning. You can find a cure for cancer tomorrow and winning a soul to Christ is better, is greater. Keeping somebody from spending eternity in the hell, telling somebody the gospel that Jesus loves them and witness to them and point them to the cross and take a gospel track or the New Testament and lead them to Christ and show them that if they, get, if they die in their sins, they're gonna go to hell because we all are sinners and deserve to go to hell. But Jesus died on the cross so we don't have to go to hell. And sharing that message and bringing people to Christ is a soul winner. That's agents of change. We support people around the world. We call them missionaries. They, they're on a mission. They go to a country. We call that the mission field. And we give an exorbitant amount of money at this church, through this church, to support world missions. Brother Bittner and his wife are here. He's the director of the Baltimore Rescue Mission. And they have... They have rooms with beds set up and they've got showers and they've got, they've got heat. They've got, they've got a, a kitchen where they cook and meals and prepare food and, and, they, and they take care of people's physical needs. But their number one concern, their number one priority is every single night they have a service where they bring somebody in to preach the gospel to these homeless people that are coming through there to make sure they have an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that even though they may not get a job, they may not get a house, they may not get a new car, they can have a mansion in heaven because somebody told them about Jesus. Amen. There's nothing greater. We've got missionaries that go around the world, do medical work, and they do, they do all kinds of humanitarian things, and that's fine. But our number one concern is people's souls. Our teenagers went soul winning. A number of our staff members went soul winning today. It was nice weather today compared to some of the days it's been being. 
They load up on a bus and they pack a bus out and they go up and down the streets of Dundalk, pass out gospel tracts, knock on people's doors and tell them Jesus loves them, invite them to church. It's called soul winning. I started doing it when I was tall enough to reach a doorbell. I had to stand on my tiptoes. I still do in some houses. I said that because you was thinking it. I knew what you were thinking. Bunch of smart Alex. I know what you were thinking. But when I was so small, I had to go with my dad and I'd stand there on the, on, on the, on the front porch and, and, and ring the doorbell and I'd listen to him witness. I started when I was a little boy, six, seven, eight, nine years old. There's nothing greater than leading somebody to Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater. And we're here as agents of change. I'm gonna give you three things that are needful. One thing, three things that are necessary in our text tonight in Acts 17. To change the world, these three things, I probably could give you a dozen of them, but I'm just gonna give you three tonight that we need if we are going to be the agents of change that God has for the world. Number one, write this down. God's people need the process of consecration. The consecration where we understand that God has set us apart for a very specific task. And that very specific task, broadly, generally speaking, is to change the world. And we can break that down into small doable tasks, but that is the ultimate goal that God left the church here to do is change the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He left the church here to change the world. Sure he did. Being completely sold out to God and consecrated to God, to be used of God, to be an agent of the right kind of change is important. By the way, I was fascinated. The word consecrate and consecration is only used in the Old Testament. It's not used in the New Testament. New Testament uses the word separate. Separate. Sanctify. Sanctify would be the same thing. It's synonymous with consecrate. And the, the, the Jewish people and all their rituals and all of their sacrifices and all of their temple practices and all their tabernacle procedures, there was, there was processes by which things were consecrated which means that that's, it was taken and it was set aside and it was used only specifically for that right there. Let me give you an example of a verse in Exodus 28, 41. Here's what God said, Exodus 28, 41. Thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him and shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Okay, that's Old Testament. But let's go over to the New Testament. We're priests. We're kings and priests. And God wants to anoint us and consecrate us and sanctify us and set us apart so that we can do the work and the ministry of the priest office as New Testament Christians. Is everybody still with me? It is absolutely essential for you and I to fully embrace this objective of changing the world. We've got to pick which side we're going to be on. Which is where most people, they fall off the wagon right here. You can't be half world and half Christian. You can't, be, you can't be half loyal to God and loyal to the world and the things of the, of the devil the rest of the week and expect to change the world. You're going to have to figure out which uniform you're going to wear. You're going to have to ask God to help you sanctify. Here's what he said to the church in Acts. He said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. By the way, in our text in Acts chapter number 17, our main character here is Paul. Paul was separated. He was separated, sanctified, consecrated to a very specific work that God had called him to do on the road to Damascus. 
In Acts 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereto I've called them. We get to our text in Acts chapter number 17. Look at what it says in verse number two. And Paul, as his manner was. This was, this was his life now. This was, this was his occupation now. This was what his whole world revolved around as his manner was. Soul winning, missions, evangelism. Why? Because God took him and separated him for a specific work. Here's the problem. Here's the reason why many people are not changing the world. They're not 100% sold on which team they want to bat for. And you're not going to change the world as long as you're sending mixed signals. And you're not going to do it part time either. You're not going to change the world if the only time you're a Christian is on Sunday between 11 and 12, 15. Forget it. Is everybody still with me? It's a life of service. It's a, it's a life it's, as his manner was. He was just every, everywhere he went, he did the same thing. Why? Because he was consecrated and separated and he was sold out to God. That's where it starts. The process of consecration. Number two, we see we need the power of conviction. To change the world, you're going to have to convince people they're wrong and God's right. Now this is real deep, so stay with me. You ain't going to convict anybody of anything if you're not convinced. You're going to have to be 100% convinced and convicted that what we say we believe and what this Bible says, that it's true. Can I show you from the scriptures what I'm talking about? Look at our text. Verse two, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging. That word alleging means proving. It's a legal term. God allegedly, allegedly did this. Allegedly. He, he, let's prove it. Let's find out if it's true or not. He's opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Sounds a little dogmatic to me. The apostle Paul is in Jewish synagogues preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ using the scriptures. He's trying to convince them because he's convinced. There was a day he wasn't convinced. On the road to Damascus, he was sold. Amen. I mean, it didn't take much. Light came on, knocked him off his high horse. He's laying on the middle of the road eating dust. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Jesus? I believe right there, Dr. Bittner, I believe right there, the Holy Ghost just connected all kind of dots and he got the full picture right there, right then, boom. Wasn't Jesus that rabbi that they crucified and everybody said he rose from the dead and then they talked about him going back up into heaven and Jesus, I'm persecuting Jesus. I was going to Damascus, I'm going to Damascus to harass people that, oh my soul, boy, the light came on. 
I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You've been fighting and kicking and resisting my, my advances and my, and my conviction and my working and my moving. It's hard for you. And you know what he said? Lord, what would thou have me to do? All of a sudden, all the pieces came together and God took the scales off his eyes. And he left, went into the city. Man of God came, spoke to him, laid hands on him. His eyes were opened, the scales were lifted. And you know what he did? He went straight up to a found him a street corner and started preaching Jesus Christ. The very Jesus he had been persecuting and kicking against, he's now preaching. Oh, he was convinced. You've got to be convinced to get beat and go to prison over and over and over and over again, stoned and, 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 and shipwrecked and just still keep preaching it. Oh, he was convinced. He was sold. And he would go into the synagogues and take the scriptures and do his best to convince them because he was convinced. He was convicted. You know what we've got today? We've got a lack of conviction. We got a lot of people that say they are Bible-believing Christians, but they're not 100% sure that everything in there is right. I'd hate to be so arrogant as to trust Jesus Christ and this Bible and the gospel, this message to save my soul from hell and then spend the rest of my Christian life questioning God on everything else he said. And you're not going to change the world if you're second guessing that book. Here's what Paul said in Titus chapter number one, verse number nine, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. It was scriptural convictions. Faithful word, sound doctrine. He's opening and alleging the scriptures. He's reasoning with them out of the scriptures, verse two. Everything Paul preached was Bible-based. You get down to chapter number 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and they received the word with all readiness of mind. Look at that. And search the scriptures daily. Look at what it says in verse number 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul. Paul used that Bible. Scriptural convictions. Preacher, you seem a little dogmatic at times. You're a little dogmatic at times about things I'm not so sure about. Well, I've got Bible to back up what I'm thinking, what you've got. When you find your convictions in here and you believe this Bible is God's perfect word without error, inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Doesn't need man's correction. We don't need more translations. We don't need more. We don't need any changes. Put your, put your pocket knife up. You don't need to cut out words and phrases and verses. Amen. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I, I'll, if I'm going to give an account to God for every word, I want an every word book. All these modern translations, what they're saying in essence is we hadn't got the word of God yet. We're still working on it. That's a bunch of hogwash. He preserved his word. He gave us his word and he preserved it. And he said, heavens and earth may pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Every jot, every tittle, we have it. Amen. When you ever get that convinced that this Bible is the word of God, it doesn't contain the word of God, it is the word of God. When you ever get 100% convinced, that's why lesson one of principles and growth is the word of God. If they drop out the second week, at least the first week, we let them know that everything we believe and teach and preach, it comes from this book right here. 
And I'm going to tell you why we're not changing the world. We got a lot of people that say they're Bible believers and they're more like Bible doubters and Bible correctors. Preacher stand up in the pulpit. Well, the Bible says this, but a better, a better word would be stop right there. Time out. That verse, I know the Bible says this, but it would have been translated better. You just stop right there, buddy. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been saved and how many Bible colleges you went to. You're not going to correct the scriptures in front of me and get away with it. Amen. This Bible is the word of God. Amen. Apostle Paul, he just preached the word. I don't know who that was for. I just felt impressed on just doing that right there for just a second. I don't understand preachers not preaching the Bible. That's amazing. It's alive. It's, 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 it's amazing. Scriptural convictions, strong convictions, holding fast. I'm still in Titus 1.9. Holding fast the faithful word as it hath been taught. Holding fast, strong convictions. Don't let them slip out. Don't say you believe one thing today and two years from now, well, you know what, that was back before I really knew better and I was, you know, I really studied and I've prayed and, you know, I've matured in the Lord and now, now I feel like I've gotten to the place in my spiritual life where I could take about two-thirds of this in here and say that don't apply to me. Well, they don't say it quite like that, but by the way they live, they might as well. I want to have a godly family. I want to raise my children in the old past till their kids get about 12 and all of a sudden, they're not so sure that that's what they want to do. I've seen a lot of people start out right. And their kids are little. And they have them in Sunday school and have them in church and have them memorizing scripture. And then the kids get a little bit older and get their Instagram account and get their TikTok account and get their iPhone. Get about neck deep in Hollywood. And all of a sudden now, they're not sure that they want their kids in the Christian school. My kids will be fine in the public school. My kids don't need church three times a week. You just keep on. You'll be in my office praying and asking God to get them out of jail for it's over with. Or they'll wrap a car around a telephone pole because they're drunk as a skunk or they're having babies out of wedlock. You know what happened? They didn't hold fast. They weren't convinced. Seen it my whole life. I've been in independent Baptist churches for 49 years. I know what I'm talking about. Right. Amen. We need scriptural convictions. We need strong convictions. Hold fast the faithful word as it hath been taught. We need superior convictions. Both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Because the gainsayers have convictions. Those Jewish people that Paul was opening and alleging to in the synagogue, they had convictions. But Paul had superior convictions, which is why he won a whole bunch of them over. Huh? Am I still in the book? Look at verse number four. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. What did he do? He won them over. He convinced them. He was changing the world through the power of conviction. The world today needs Christians with convictions. When everybody is lying to us and everybody is changing their narrative. There was a doctor on CNN day before yesterday. She said the science has changed. This is the same channel that says, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. Now the science has changed. And I, for one, am so proud of myself that I didn't trust it. Yeah. 
can trust it. The science has changed. No, midterms are coming up. Won't you just be honest? You want to take masks off everybody and change the rules because you want to win an election. Bunch of demon-possessed liars. And people are looking for Christians with convictions. Just be convinced of what the Bible says and let the Bible stand on its own two feet and quit making excuses for being a Bible believer. Well, it's not popular. Who cares? I don't know about you. I can't speak for you, but I'm not in a popularity contest. Paul walked in there with his Bible and he changed people's minds, changed their eternal destiny through the power of conviction. I got one more point. Are y'all good? And here's where the Lord really helped me this morning. With all of this, with all of this consecration and all of this conviction, it needs to be seasoned with the prompting of compassion. If all you have is compassion with no conviction, you're not going to change the world. If all you have is conviction but no compassion, I'm still in the text. You say, where in the world do you see compassion in that verse? I'm so glad you asked me that. Because it hit me right in the middle of Brother Adriel playing the offertory. And I was going to write it in my notes so that I didn't forget it. But Brother Leader didn't have a pen. <laughs> Never has a pen. But it's in verse number 16. Paul, Paul saw, I just threw him under the bus so hard, he won't ever get out from under there. Paul, while he waited in Athens, saw the city wholly given to idolatry, and his spirit was stirred within him. Just preached on that a few weeks ago. But the conviction, Brother Caleb, the conviction and the, and the dogmatic statements this is what the Bible said. This is what you need to believe. This is what you need to do because this is what the Bible says. That goes a long way when it's seasoned with some compassion. He saw the city wholly moved with, with idolatry and was moved with, with moved. Spirit was stirred within him. And I could just get up here and just read all kinds of verses. I'm just going to give you two. Matthew 9, 36. This is Jesus setting an example. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus went forth, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Compassion. Here's what Jude said. Here's what Jude said. Ready? Let's put the cherry on top of this series right here. And of some having compassion, making a difference. That's what he said. That's what he said. Jude. And of some having compassion, making a difference, hating even the very garments that are spotted by the flesh and pulling them out of the fire. That's Jude. It's got one chapter in it. You can find that verse, underline it in your Bible. You want to make a difference? Compassion goes a long way. Listen to me. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about being a knucklehead. But you can look at your family, your friends, your co-workers and people that want to argue with you, people that are lost, people that need the Lord. You can look at them and you can have confidence and boldness and conviction. A little tear in the corner of your eye won't hurt. Say, I, wish you, I just wish you had what I had. I wish you knew the Lord like I knew him. Changing the world. 
We ought to be obsessed with it. We ought to be consumed with it. I'm going to ask you with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask you a very serious question. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer me. I'm just going to ask you a question. What are you doing? What are you doing to change the world? Supporting somebody else that's doing it don't count. Backing somebody else up that's doing it don't count. Being a, being a fan of somebody that's doing it doesn't count. What are you doing to change the world? The altar's open. Folks are coming. It ought to be packed. It ought to be packed. Changing the world. That's why you're here. That's why he left you and I here. To change the world. There may be somebody here tonight say, Pastor Shiflett, you was talking about the gospel, being a soul winner, keeping people from going to hell, understanding the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was to keep people from going to hell. You was talking about all that, and I'm going to be honest with you, preacher. Pastor Shiflett, I'm not 100% sure that I'm saved. I'm not 100% sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I hope I would. I think I would. I don't want to go to hell. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, though, if I'm saved or not, and I would like for you to pray for me. Would you be honest enough right now about your soul with heads bowed and eyes closed to just slip your hand up. Pastor Shiva, please pray for me. I'm not sure if I died tonight on the way home from church that I'd open my eyes in heaven. I'm not sure. And that's a concern to me and I want you to pray for me. Anybody anywhere? Please you pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anybody anywhere? There's a phone number on the screen if you're watching online and you're not sure you're saved. If you'll text that phone number and say, I need to talk to somebody, we'll call you here in just a few minutes and try our best over the phone to help you. Sir, what are you doing to change the world? Well, preacher, I'm going to get around to it. No, no. What are you doing? Ma'am, what are you doing? Young person, what are you doing to change the world? You say, it's over.